What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 258 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, great to be back with you guys. Uh, this week uh, took a little bit of a guest Friday hiatus last week as I was uh, working on a, a special project last week, uh, non-podcast related, but uh, that was why I did not, could not do a guest Friday last week. Had some stuff going on, but uh, guest Friday will return this week. I actually had a great conversation uh, with Matt Plew last night. That conversation will be out for you guys. Um, on Thursday instead of Friday because we did a uh, NBA draft preview. So uh, the draft is Thursday, so we'll get that out to you guys um, on Thursday so you can listen then and then watch the draft Thursday night. We'll talk a little bit about the draft uh, later in the program, but uh, great to talk to Matt. Always great to talk some hoops, uh, so that will be out to you guys uh, later this week. So I think we're going to get going, get started on uh, today's program uh, going to do plenty of Red Sox. You know, unfortunately, there's a Patriot situation that we need to uh, talk about. Is you know, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. You know, some revolutions, some Celtics and Bruins, um, and some other stuff. So we'll start with the Red Sox, um, and I think it's certainly been really positive over the last you know, week or so, you know, I think if you want to go back to, you know, the, the weekend series in the Bronx, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, you know, Red Sox taking two out of three, you know, winning a couple of low scoring games, you know, I think still being a team struggling to score runs, but, you know, I think that coming off of that, I think a lot of us would have thought that they would have done better against the Colorado Rockies. You know, the worst, I think at that point, the worst record in uh, the National League didn't work that way. Red Sox uh, lost two out of three, lost a couple um, late games. I believe both of those, or at least one of those losses was an extra innings. Or actually, no, excuse me, both of those uh, were extra inning losses. And the Red Sox kind of, you know, you could say kind of gave those games away with uh, some sloppy defense and, you know, Devers, I think on that, in that second loss, hit a two run home run that, you know, would have tied the game had they not given up three runs in the previous, um, in the top of the 10th. So, you know, a couple frustrating losses, but then the Red Sox, you know, come back and beat the Rockies in that final game. Um, but then, you know, come into this weekend series against the Yankees and, you know, continue to play well against the Yankees. It's kind of fascinating that, you know, you think about this Red Sox team and, you know, how much they've struggled out of the gate, um, but they've been able to win five out of six against the Yankees. Now, yes, on one hand, the Yankees were without Aaron Judge. You know, they're having a little bit of some injury issues on, on their team. So it's not quite like the Red Sox beat the best version of the Yankees, but the Yankees are still a good team, you know, 39 and 33 at the moment, 10 and a half back um, of the division of Tampa Bay. It just continues to, you know, blow everyone away. But, you know, I think with that series win, 
the Red Sox kind of, you know, maybe found something offensively. You know, clearly in that Friday game, 15-5, to you know, the, the floodgates opened in that game, you know. Justin Turner with a couple home runs, including a grand slam. You know, Red Sox ran away with that game. And, you know, really, I think, in my opinion, put on their best um, offensive performance this entire season. I think that it was their highest run total. Um, but even if not, you know, they just completely dominated that game and then got some great pitching um, on in, in the doubleheader. So I think that, you know, this team continuing to build off, um, you know, that Yankees series and, you know, taking the first game in Minnesota last night was huge. You know, Alex Verdugo, I think, I think has gone through some stretches this year where it's not happened for him, but he was great last night, had four RBIs, Tristan Casas homered. Um, and that is something that I did want to talk about today, that, you know, continued improvement of Casas, um, especially offensively, I think, you know, yes, had a terrible first month at 133. And I think had a lot of people wondering, okay, could he, could he, could it be a good use for him? to have some time down at Worcester, you know, just to rediscover his game. But the Red Sox stuck with him. And I think that, you know, they deserve credit for that. I think he does as well, um, because I think that he has steadily improved. You know, you look at hit 133 in the first, I think it was like 25 games um, in the month of April or whatever it was. And then since then, he's played over 30 games. I think it's like 38 or 39 and is hitting 264. So, you know, I think clearly over the, that larger, you know, sample size, that's kind of more in line for the type of player that he is. Now, look, he's never going to hit 300 in a season. He's never going to be, you know, an elite hit for average type of guy. But as long as he is, you know, in that range of, you know, 260 to 280, you know, hitting hitting timely home runs, driving in runs at key times. And I think it's baseball. You're going to go through tough stretches. You're going to go through stretches where you're really struggling. But I think we have to remember that this is his first full pro season. You know, when he played last season, he was not, you know, really put in the position that he's been put in this year. You know, he's a starter now. You know, he's the guy. And I think... We have to remember it's his first pro season and, you know, there is an adjustment period. There's an adjustment period for any baseball player. You know, even if the player that comes in is this highly touted, you know, prospect, um, you know, clearly there's an adjustment period. And it's not just in Major League Baseball. You know, it's AAA. It's AA. You know, Marcelo Mayer, perfect example, you know, brought up to double A in Portland, you know, I think that at the moment he's hitting maybe 160 or whatever it is, but it's like there has to, there is an adjustment period for every single player that's ever played baseball. So it's good to see that Cassis is starting to produce and starting to, you know, have games where he's getting multiple hits. Um, and I think just really kind of building his confidence. And I think, you know, the Red Sox showing faith in him that okay, you had a tough month, but we believe in you and we're going to, you know, we're going to ride with you. So you hope that that continues for him. Um, but I think that you're just seeing that, 
this team is starting to come together. You know, the pitching continues to be really, really good. You know, I think since, I think it was like, there was something I read in the paper today. It was since May 17th, their team ERA is like 3.47. And it's like, is that, you know, is that a sample size? That's something that they can extrapolate over a full season? Perhaps not, but I do think that being able to have this hitting and pitching coming together and having both things working, I think that that's why they've won five in a row and they're all of a sudden right back in the playoff chase. You know, I think that at during, I don't know if it's the losing streak or whatever it was, but, you know, they at one point were five and a half or six games back in the wild card. They're now a game and a half back. So, you know, it just goes to show you that, you know, baseball is a sport that you can go on runs where you lose, you can go on runs where you win. But I think when the two things, pitching and hitting, the most important things are working together, you can be really good. And I think the Red Sox also, you know, made a decision that seems to, you know, I think that this was a decision, you know, making the decision to move Kike off of shortstop was a decision that probably should have been made a long time ago. Um, But I think the addition of Pablo Reyes and not putting him in as pretty much the everyday shortstop has improved the defense. And I think that the Red Sox are not going to be an elite defensive team. That's just not what I expect from them. But I think, you know, having Reyes at shortstop is someone that can just hold the fort down until Trevor Story is able to come back. And I think that, you know, the defense has improved a little bit over the last couple of games. You know, it's not perfect. It's not going to be elite. You know, I think, again, I don't think we can expect that, but I think just kind of getting some stable play at shortstop is helping them uh, defensively. So, you know, I think in terms of other guys that have been playing better as of late, you know, Verdugo has been great driving in some runs at four RBIs last night. You know, Devers is a guy that's going to hit a lot of home runs. You know, I think that me personally, I have concerns about him hitting for average, but, you know, him leading the team in home runs and RBIs, that's what you would expect. You know, it's not like they have other guys that are performing better than him. Uh, Justin Turner has been unbelievable recently. You know, obviously at that two-homer game against the Yankees, but, you know, he is proving to be, I think, every bit the player that the Red Sox expected, you know, and he's another guy, you know, started a little bit slow, you know, and I think even for guys that are veterans, you know, changing teams, there's always an adjustment period, but I think he's started to figure it out. You know, Yoshida has been really, really consistent the entire season. And I just, you hope that these guys can continue to drive in runs, drive in runs at key times, get key hits. You know, Duran has started to come back to the player that he was before kind of his cold stretch. You know, I think over the last 15, 16 games, he's hitting 300. Um, something that Tyler Milliken had tweeted. Uh, he's a producer for the uh, Zolak and Bertrand show in 98.5. He's got some great tweets you should follow. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter. Um, but he had posted something about Duran that he's, been really, really solid again over the last couple of games. And I think, you know, it's been great to see his improvement as a baseball player. I think just 
considering all the things that went wrong for him last year, you know, I think that it it's it's easy for a player to say that they are going to be better and they're going to improve, but it's a whole nother thing for that player to actually show in their actions. You know, if you've been watching games on Nesson, and I admit I've done a bad job of watching games recently, there are a lot of times where he gets, you know, singles that he can turn into doubles with his speed and his hustle. And I think that just shows you that, okay, here's a guy whose mindset is in the right place. You know, he's making the big hustle plays, and, you know, it really helps a team's morale when you're seeing players like that really go all out. So it's been great to see him play, you know, made a great uh, catch in center field um, on Sunday night. So I think he is a player is starting to have more confidence. And I think that, you know, if this team can keep it going offensively and get Trevor Story back and have him hitting and him be a part of the lineup, this could be a very, very dangerous offensive team. You know, you think about the way that Verdugo's been hitting recently. You think about the way Turner's been hitting. You think about the way that Yoshida's been the entire season. You add another really good hitter to that mix. Look out. You know, this is a team that I think has hopefully just now started to regain their stride from the beginning of the season with how good they were offensively. And it's just, you can add story. Maybe you add a deadline uh, transaction. You know, I know that's kind of a, a long way off, but, you know, this is a team that has a tremendous opportunity. You know, we talked about this last week that, you know, you're playing against the Yankees, you're playing against a couple of, you know, by baseball standards, weaker American League Central teams in Minnesota and Chicago over the next two series. So it's like you got an opportunity that you can get right back into you know, the chasing the American League East or in the wild card, you know, don't think the Red Sox are catching the Rays. I don't think anyone is, but, you know, it gives you hope that this can be a legitimate playoff team. And I think, you know, we've spent a lot of time in the early going today talking about the hitting, uh, but the pitching has been outstanding. You know, Brian Bayo has been really fun to watch over the last couple starts. He's been outstanding both of those starts. Uh, recently against the Yankees, and, you know, I don't want to put any crazy expectations on him, but I swear when I watch him pitch, he reminds me so much of Pedro. Uh, just the, just like his build, you know, his kind of slight frame, the way that he throws the ball, the delivery, it just is like, you know, and, and, and the mix of pitches, you know, it just is like, you see Pedro Martinez in him, and I think, you know, I don't want to put those kind of crazy expectations, you know, that he's going to be this guy, but it's like I think he's showing flashes that he can be kind of your frontline rotation guy for the next, you know, whatever, six, seven, eight years, you know, with the way that he's been pitching. And I think, you know, seeing Sale go down was tough. You know, seeing how go down the other night was very scary. You know, I think that's a completely different thing that we can talk about, but it just has been awesome to see Bayo pitch so well. And, you know, Paxton continues to be really solid. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I had no idea that he was this type of pitcher. You know, he's a guy that, 
you know, he's healthy. He's a top of the rotation guy too. Maybe not a number one, but I think someone that can be very, very solid. And it just, it gives you hope that if somehow, you know, Chris Sale can come back healthy in August and this team is still in the playoff chase, you know, that's a very, very scary rotation if you think about those three, you know, and then you even add a guy like Whitlock, you add a guy like Hauk, who I think has had his issues at times, but has been solid recently. Whitlock's been great. So, you know, the starting pitching's been great. The relief pitching has been very solid. Uh, Chris Martin's been very, very good. Jansen, I think, for the most part, has been really solid. Um, so I think, you know, it hopefully is all coming together for this team. Um, it was absolutely terrifying to see how it could hit by that line drive uh, the other night. And, you know, we hope that he's going to be okay. Um, had a, like a I think they're calling a facial contusion. So, you know, we'll see. You know, I think been put on the uh, injured list. You know, I think that there's hope that maybe he can return soon. But I got to tell you, that is one of the scariest plays in sports. You know, and it's, you know, it does happen every once in a while that a pitcher gets hit, but it blows my mind that that doesn't happen more. You know, the way that these guys, you know, can hit the ball right after a, a pitch, you know, the way that it can impact off the bat, and you have no reaction time as a pitcher. So we hope that that Tanner is going to be okay. Um, but I think clearly, just a, just a scary moment. But I think just to kind of wrap up talking about this team, the energy just has been really good over the last couple of games. And I think obviously it's easy to be high energy. When you're winning games, it's easy to have high energy when you have a winning streak. But, you know, this is a team that I think really, if they can get, continue to get the pitching and the hitting to work hand in hand, this is going to be a very good team. And I think having the ability to bring back story from injury, you know, bring back maybe a couple more guys, maybe even add at the trade deadline. You know, I think that it's, you know, wild how that works in baseball that, you know, you can have a, a, a bad stretch of play where you start thinking about, okay, what's the future? But then you can have a good stretch of play and you know, have a feel that you are back in it. But I think the Red Sox just have to kind of stay afloat. You know, it doesn't have to be winning 20 games and 25 games. It doesn't have to be crazy. But I think it being able to kind of just stay afloat until you can get story back, until you can get to the trade deadline, and then you can hopefully, you know, make a move in the standings. But they're close. I mean, they're very close. They're only a game and a half back of third place in the AL East. They're only a game and a half back of the wild card. So it's not like this is a team that has insurmountable odds uh, to make a postseason push. But really encouraging. We'll take a look at the schedule here quickly uh, before we move on. Red Sox continuing their uh, four-game series in Minnesota. They um, will play the Twins tonight, Cutter Crawford starting, uh, Garrett Whitlock starting tomorrow night, and then Thursday afternoon, the Red Sox will wrap up the series. They have not named a starter, um, and then they will face the Chicago White Sox for a three-game series this weekend with Bayo, Paxton, and Crawford scheduled to pitch. So I think that's probably going to do it. We're going to move on, get to the Patriots, and... Uh, yeah, there's some uh, disappointing stuff that I think I'm going to have to get to, you know, and I've been uh, thinking hard about 
how to best talk about this topic. Um, so obviously, Patriots uh, finished up mandatory minicamp, you know, and I think based on the way that people, you know, talked about the Patriots, you know, canceling that last day, you know, leads us to believe that it was a successful, you know, two-day session, that there were guys that were good, you know, and I think that they feel, you know, confident about the team going forward. Um, and, you know, in particular, um, Jack Jones had a really solid showing, you know, in the mandatory minicamps, you know, getting snaps at, you know, starter, getting snaps as, as a starter and, you know, really having you believe that this, he would be part of a really good, you know, young secondary, you know, and kind of be a cornerstone of the team going forward at that position, at least. Um, but then, you know, we get the news on Friday that um, he had been arrested at Logan Airport with uh, being in possession of multiple uh, firearms. I believe one was loaded. I don't really want to get into the details of it because it honestly doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, it's a really serious situation. And, you know, um, I don't want to speculate too much on what happened because we don't know. We don't know what any of the circumstances are. So I don't want to sit here and you know, make any type of speculation, but it just, I think you would hope that someone like Jack Jones, who has had, you know, past issues, you know, he was arrested at Arizona State and, you know, had that suspension at the end of the year with the Patriots. Now, those are not the same thing, but you just would think that someone that's had these type of, or has, has had issues before, would be very careful to not, you know, step out of line and not, you know, put themselves in a position where something bad would happen. And it's just, you wish that he would use better judgment. Now, again, that's a difficult statement because it's possible that it wasn't he that made the decision. It is entirely possible that he has bag handlers and stuff like that. And, you know, someone put the gun, put the guns in a bag and he didn't know about it, that's entirely possible. It kind of seems unlikely, but it is possible. So, you know, it just, I think from the legal side of things, you know, that's a different conversation. But I think just on the football part, I honestly cannot see a scenario uh, where he is with Patriots going forward. Uh, I just, I just think something like this is too much of a distraction. And, you know, I don't know how the legal stuff plays out. You know, we're not really like a legal advice, a legal podcast. So I don't want to sit here and, you know, talk about things that I don't know about. So, you know, I just think from the football side, it just, if, if this is a person that has already, you know, had like a suspension of sorts, now I don't know how serious that was at the end of the year, you know, what was the reasoning for it? If it just was, you know, missing a rehab session or something like that. But it just is like, you know, the Patriots, I think, take, took a chance on him, you know, considering that he had that arrest in college. And I just, I just, I cannot see a scenario that he returns to the Patriots. I just, you know, and I think that, yes, everyone deserves second chances, but it's like, he's already been given the second chance, you know, after the suspension. So 
you know, I don't know what happens moving forward. I can't imagine that he's with the Patriots beyond the next couple of weeks. You know, he was, I think, being arraigned in court this morning. So, you know, I don't know what happens going forward, but it just is, it's disappointing at the end of the day because, you know, Jack was supposed to be a big part of this defense, you know, and I thought that at times last year he was outstanding and really had an opportunity, you know, to build something with this team going forward. So um, it's just disappointing. Um, I don't really want to get into, you know, any kind of legal conversations because I'm not, you know, qualified really to talk about that, but it's just disappointing, you know, and you hope that he is a person that he, he will be okay, you know, mentally because something like that cannot be easy, but you know, it's just uh, hard to know what happens going forward. Um, but I think really all the options are on the table. The Patriots could, you know, get rid of him. Um, you know, but we'll, we'll see. The other part, other big Patriots thing that I did want to talk about was uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Came in, to, uh, came in for a visit last week at Gillette. Uh, did post that uh, picture on, on Instagram with Matthew Judon. I'm sure that everyone... That's a Patriots fan has seen that circulated. Um, so, you know, I think the early thoughts on that was it went well, you know, and I think the Patriots probably made, you know, some sort of a pitch. And, you know, I think that it's probably refreshing to know that, you know, there really was no issue with, or there's not currently any issues between Hopkins and Bill O'Brien, as some people thought that may, that may have been a, you know, roadblock in terms of getting him to the Patriots, but doesn't seem like that's an issue, but it does seem like, um, according to a source, Hopkins is not in, in, a, in is not in any rush to sign um, a contract. So I think from a Patriots fan perspective, that makes you a little bit nervous, you know, that, okay, you know, maybe he's not had his heart set on the Patriots, um, but I think it's like from his perspective, I think I can understand the thought process that, okay, you want to see what all your options are going to be closer to training camp because it could be that someone gets released, someone gets you know injured. You would hope not if it's not during like a mandatory workout, but you know, it could be possible that other teams, you know, work around kind of the salary cap constraints, try to free up some money and things like that. But on the other hand, for me personally, I probably would want to make a decision, know which team I'm going to play for, and then get ready for training camp. Now I know that there's no official workouts that you have to do. So it's like maybe it does make sense to wait, but I don't know. I would rather just sign and get settled. So, you know, hard to know if the Patriots do indeed get him to sign. You know, I think uh, money certainly has something to do with this. Um, that the Patriots, I think, currently can offer him the most amount of money. I'm curious what a potential contract would look like. Um, but I think clearly if he comes to this team, he gives his team a, a really, really solid, consistent, experienced wide receiver and I think really helps out Mac Jones and I think expands what this offense can do um, to kind of give Mac kind of that, that game breaker, that guy that can make the the plays when everything breaks down. Now, Hopkins is not the guy that he was in Houston. You know, let's make that let's make that clear. But 
you look at the numbers that he had last year, even missing, you know, the, the five or six games or whatever it was uh, due to suspension, he was really good. Had a 717 yards, 64 receptions, which, you know, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head. Uh, well, actually, let's maybe look at them. But I think that those numbers would have made him around, you know, the leading receiver on the team. You know, if you look at the yards receiving last year, Jacoby Myers led the team with 804 yards. Devontae Parker was second with 539. So you put in Hopkins, that's, you know, the third most receptions on the team. That's the second most yards. And he'd be tied for the third, or tied for the second most touchdowns, which he had three last year. So, you know, that's something that really would help out their offense. Now, obviously... The offense last year is not going to be the offense this year. You have a new coordinator. You have a new offensive line coach. You have some, you know, different type of offensive players. You know, so it's, it wouldn't be the same exact offense. But no doubt in my mind that if Hopkins comes to the Patriots, he makes them a pretty close to elite offense. So, you know, really would help out this team offensively. But, you know, to be perfectly honest, and maybe this shocks some people that I, I'm, I'm going to say what I'm about to say, but I don't think the Patriots need him. You know, I think that what they've done in the offseason, you know, has, you know, assuming everyone's healthy and assuming everything works out the way it should, they're going to have a much better offense. I think you think about the way that Gesicki has looked in these workouts, you know, he's kind of given them you know, kind of a, a second really good athletic tight end that the Patriots can utilize. You know, Juju, I think, is going to be a really good addition to this team. Now, he's not quite been healthy. We haven't quite seen him on the field yet, but, you know, he's a guy that I think can make this offense a little bit more, you know, dynamic and what they can do after the catch. Specifically, now, it was unfortunate to see the Patriots had cut uh, James Robinson. I think it was last week, but I think there were still some concerns about his return from injury. And so there were some things in his contract. So I think according to some people, it wasn't a surprise that they, that they cut him. Um, but I think this is a team that the offense is going to be better. Just the fact having an experienced offensive coordinator, having an offense that's going to be organized, having a motivated Mac Jones, I think is going to have this team be where it wants to be with or without DeAndre Hopkins. Would adding him make them a lot better? Probably. But I still think that they're a good enough football team that not having him is not the end of the world. You know, him going to Tennessee, him going to a different team, you know, does not mean the end of the world for the Patriots. So, you know, yeah, I think that if he doesn't sign, people are going to be very disappointed, but... I still think that they uh, will be in good shape um, even without him. Um, there was another Patriots thing that I did want to talk about. We'll get to that, or we'll kind of maybe talk more about this later. But um, Dalvin Cook was on a uh, podcast, I think it was Adam Schefter's podcast, um, and talked about that he and DeAndre Hopkins uh, would like to play together or something like that. I forget what the exact quote was. We'll take a look at that later. But I thought that was kind of interesting, and I think, you know, would the Patriots be willing to take on Dalvin Cook? 
possibly. You know, I think for me personally, I don't want to give him a long-term deal. I'd be fine giving him, you know, a one-year kind of prove-it deal. But, geez, even just the thought about the two of them on the Patriots' offense, um, I mean, that just is, is scary. Scary to think about. So um, I think, yeah, we'll return to that later. But I think we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the revolution um, and things continue to be good for this team. Um, coming off the 3-1 to win against Miami, uh, Revs followed up with another home win, 3-1, to over Orlando City. So the Revs, you know, continuing to get some offense. Uh, Gustavo Bo scoring his first goal in a couple months. Uh, Carlos Hill also scored. Ima Boateng also scored. So the Revs, you know, offensive attack all over Orlando in this one. Um, and the Revs, with the win, move up to third place in the East. Still uh, seven points behind um, FC Cincinnati, but a really good showing for the Revs um, in the rain on Saturday night. So really pleased with that. You know, I think this Revs team, you know, needed the, the momentum offensively, you know, to see the, the goals go in. And I think, to be perfectly honest, you look at their last five MLS games, four of those games, they've scored three goals. So they seem to kind of be building back a little bit offensively. You know, Carlos Heel's been awesome. Um, Bobby Wood's been really consistent. But I think getting Gustavo Bo back into the lineup was great. You know, played most of the game on Saturday, scored. Um, and I think, you know, just having him comfortable, healthy, and being able to help with whatever they're trying to do offensively is huge. You know, I love to watch him and Carlos play together because it's just, it's magical. You know, I think, I think back to the very first game that the two of them played together. Um, I believe it was their first game and Carlos Hill with a fantastic corner. Gustavo Bo gets on the end of it and fires it in. And it was like, whoa, these two guys, you know, are elite players. And I think when they are at their best, you know, they give you, you know, flashbacks back to the old Revs teams, you know, with Taylor Twelman and Steve Ralston and guys like that that could score and score and score. And so I think having these two guys in the fold is awesome. And I think um, Giacomo, Giacomo Vrioni played a little bit in the second half. Um, and it was really neat to see the three of them, you know, link up for Carlos Hill's goal that I think, yeah, put the game away. Um, so it was great to see the three of them together, you know, three designated players. So I think things are good. Things are really good for the revolution. They've um, had points or have had a have not lost in their last five matches. You know, getting three points this weekend and last weekend, Revs continue to be awesome at home. Um, they've been unbeaten. They actually haven't lost at home this year. So um, it's been a really good start. Continues to be really solid, you know, offensive capabilities with this team. And I do think defensively things have improved. The, the health has returned. You know, Brandon buys back in the lineup. Um, I think... I feel like I'm forgetting someone that came back from injury. Um, but anyway, you know, great to see that the, you know, Georgi Petrovich is still Georgi Petrovich and he's still, you know, unbelievable goaltender. But I think, you know, defensively, which kind of was a concern a couple weeks ago, they've only given up two goals in their last three games. So, you know, that's improving. That's good to see. Uh, the Red Sox, or excuse me, the Revolution 
uh, did buy out Josie Altador uh, over the weekend. So I'm kind of glad that that happened because it didn't really seem like he was providing much to this team. But I think, you know, given Vrioni some more games, continue to get him, you know, accustomed to the MLS game and continue to ride Carlos Seal and Bobby Wood. It's been pretty, uh, pretty exciting to see Bobby play as well um, as he has this season. Um, and you hope that Bo can get some more games in him. But you think about those four as your, you know, main goal scorers, you're in pretty good shape. And, you know, who knows, the Revolution may be bringing in um, another designated player. I know that there's some rumors on Twitter that uh, they may be bringing someone in. Now, there's no, you know, confirmation about who it might be. I know that, you know, when John Feniziano was on the program a couple weeks ago, we did talk about Adam Buxa now. Is that possibly who it is? Who knows? You know, we'll see. But um, the Revs are, I think, building back the excitement that they had at the beginning of the year. You know, now with four wins in their last five and, you know, points in their last five. So the Revs will uh, return home, or not return home, they'll stay at home uh, this weekend against Toronto FC. 7.30 start. And then uh, in July, the Revolution will start with a uh, match on the road at FC Cincinnati. Yes, the very same FC Cincinnati that uh, leads Major League Soccer in points and wins. So that will be a very exciting game, uh, July 1st. That's also a 7.30 start. Uh, but the Revs will wrap up the uh, homestand here against Toronto on Saturday at 7.30. So I think that we're going to move on talk a little bit about the Celtics. There's some uh, smatterings of, of news. There was an article uh, by Adam, Adam Himmelsbach in The Globe this morning uh, about a couple different things regarding the Celtics. And, you know, I don't think that any of the things that he reported were necessarily uh, surprising. Well, one of them may have been surprising. So one of the, the, the tidbits was uh, the Celtics are expected to sign Jalen Brown uh, to that Supermax contract, which I think is great. I think it's a good decision. I know that there's been, you know, a lot of conversation about the Supermax and the effect of, with the new CBA and all that. But I just think that you have two all-NBA players that are two of the best 15 players in the league, you know, according to the, the all-NBA. And it's just like you want those two guys. Now, yes, you know, there are some people that thought that the Celtics should bring in Bradley Beal, but... You know, the problem with the contract is the Celtics probably would not have been able to bring him in unless they traded Jalen Brown. And, you know, to me, Jalen Brown and Bradley Beal are very similar players. Um, you know, both guys that can score. Maybe Bradley Beal's a slightly better scorer than Jalen Brown. You know, we're splitting hairs here. But it's like, you know, you think about the turnovers, which is always an issue with Jalen. It's also a Bradley Beal issue, too. You know, he's had... And I looked this up, it's like the last three seasons, he's had at least three turnovers a game. And it's just like swapping Jalen for Bradley Beal doesn't really improve your, you know, championship odds, so to speak. Um, so I just, that rule is not going to be worth it for me if I'm a Celtics fan. Um, I think I'd rather just work with the pieces that I have. Um, you know, so yes, of course, the, the package that, Got him to Phoenix was, you know, less than stellar, but, you know, Chris Paul was making close to what he was making, so 
it kind of made sense in terms of a money swap. So, you know, I just, I didn't think that that was a possibility for the Celtics. Um, and, you know, I don't think it would have been smart either. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But, you know, the report did say the Celtics and Jalen, you know, are expected to come to terms on that. Um, the, the article also went on to say that the Celtics, um, you know, I think are going to be most likely to bring Grant Williams back. Um, that, you know, it's expected that they're going to be able to bring him back on their own, that they may not have to match, you know, with the restricted free agency. So, you know, I think that it makes sense. You know, I think that, you know, the Celtics had offered before the start of last season, four years for $54 million, which I believe that he turned down. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of money he gets, but I did think that was interesting that they expected him that he'll return, you know, unless that there's a team that comes out and, you know, blows him out of the water. Um, I would expect him to be back. Um, the other, I think the most interesting part of this report in the Globe was that Peyton Pritchard, who, you know, I think all but requested a trade in February, is still viewed very highly uh, by the Celtics organization. And, you know, there's no sort of, you know, animosity between the two sides. So I thought that was significant because I think that means that they actually might be wanting him to return. Now I think that, you know, there's certainly a logjam of guards on this team currently, you know, and I think currently constructed. Is there really a spot for Pritchard? You know, I think could there be could the Celtics carve out a role for him? I think it's possible. You know, certainly it would make it easier if the Celtics moved the guard, whether that's Brogdon, who I think is, you know, probably most likely to get moved. Um, that it is a possibility. But the article also said that ownership is not concerned about, you know, their money is not a, is, is not a concern. So, you know, they'd be willing to go into the luxury tax and all that. So, you know, that's, I think, just some interesting tidbits there. Uh, the Celtics did also get uh, Gallinari returning, or he opted into his uh, player option last week. So that would be good for the Celtics to have him back. I think that he should play a pretty large role for this team. And, you know, we talked about this, I think, maybe during the mailbag episode, that I honestly expect that he's going to be a guy that plays a major role, that plays major minutes, maybe even starts some games. Um, and so I think... You know, his skill set would really help the team. Uh, last little bit, the Celtics um, also are hiring uh, Phil Pressey to be um, an assistant coach. You may remember him as a, a brief Celtics player uh, from 2013-2015, uh, coached with uh, Missouri this past year, his alma mater. So, you know, interesting to see what he can bring to the staff. I believe that he's the only Celtics player um, or not the only, but no, what was I thinking? Oh, no, so he was the only, or, no, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but um, he and Marcus Smart were teammates uh, for his, like, his run with the Celtics, so the two of them are familiar with each other, and, you know, he's from Waltham as well, so kind of a local connection there, but I think it should help you know, the coaching staff bringing in another former player um, and another guy that's, you know, relatively young and I don't think 
or like recently retired, someone that had played in the NBA and then had played overseas. So uh, curious to see what he can bring um, and could also be possible Celtics hire another assistant or two. <clears throat> so I think, you know, not sure what the Celtics do at the draft on Thursday. You know, the 35th overall pick, which is the fifth pick in the second round. You know, certainly a possibility Celtics take someone, uh, take a flyer on a second round pick. Um, one player that I do think is a name to keep your eye on is Jordan Walsh. Um, played for Arkansas the past year. Um, and is a guy that I think could fit with um, could, could fit with I think the type of player that they're looking for really hard nosed guy that can guard multiple positions um, you know a real a real kind of scrappy player that I think the Celtics could be in the market for because they do need some help on the wing so I think that you know he's a name that I would be watching on Thursday for the Celtics uh, to pick now, of course, the Celtics could trade that pick. Um, I think that's certainly a possibility, but I'm going to be surprised. I think just based on the facts, you know, hearing about that Pritchard stuff in particular, that I think they may not trade it; they may use it. But I think if the Celtics are going to use the pick, it's going to be for a wing player, or it's going to be for a big. You know, in terms of the bigs, I really have no idea who that could possibly be. Um, you know, I think, yeah, it really, I think, could be anyone. Um, I don't, I'm not really as well-versed in terms of the bigs, but I think, again, Jordan Wall should be a name uh, to watch for the Celtics at 35. Um, so I think that that's probably going to do it for the Celtics. We will talk briefly about the Bruins. It was a free agent signing that the Bruins made yesterday. It's not anything that's going to, you know, blow you out of the water, but uh, it is kind of an interesting, interesting signing because I think there are some people that think that it may signal um, a certain move. I don't know if it necessarily does, but the Bruins did uh, come to terms with Brandon Bussey on a uh, one-year, two-way contract. Now, what that means is um, you're able to move the player back and forth between the AHL um, and the NHL. That's what two-way means. So he was obviously with Providence this past season. Um, It was really, really good. He was actually selected to play um, in the All-Star game for the AHL. was 22-5-4-1 with a 9.24 save percentage and a 2.40 goals against average in 32 games. So I think... Um, and also, he was signed to an entry-level deal by the Bruins last year, so like a uh, undrafted free agent. So, you know, clearly did very well in Providence, and I think the Bruins, you know, probably would like to see what he can do again. I was a restricted free agent, so, you know, I think it's a good move, good organizational depth. The Bruins, I think, have always had good organizational depth at the goaltending position, I mean, for for the most part, so... I think it's a good move. Now, I think some people see this and think, oh, okay, does this mean that Linus Olmark gets traded? Now, 
I don't think necessarily. I think it could just be the Bruins liked what they saw from Bussy last year. They want to see what he can do with another with with another year in Providence. Um, you know, could he possibly be someone that sees action in the NHL next season? I think certainly. I think irregardless of an Olmark trade, you know, if there's an injury or something like that, you know, he could see time in Boston, you know, but I think, I think I would slow your roll if you think the Bruins are going to trade Olmark, uh, just because Bussy is, you know, never played in the NHL, only has 32 games of experience um, in the AHL, so it just is like, kind of don't really know what he is. I think you could argue that you aren't quite sure about Jeremy Swayman yet, you know, just in terms of giving him like a larger workload, you know, so I think I'm not quite sure what it means. It could just be simply that the Bruins just want to see more from Bussy and see what he can do. Um, but I think I wouldn't quite think that, oh, this means that they're trading Walmart. It could possibly mean that, you know, it's not like it's, it's, it's not impossible to think that maybe the Bruins are comfortable with Bussy and Swayman. Bruins still need to sign Swayman, but I don't think it necessarily means that Olmark's gone because I think the Bruins, you know, do really like what they have defensively and in goal. Um, and I think kind of more of the questions for next season are the forward group. You know, who do they re-sign? Who do they maybe trade? Which young players do they want to see more from? Which young players do they think could grab a roster spot? So, you know, I think it's a solid move uh, for the Bruins, but obviously we'll see what more they do. The NHL draft um, is next week on Wednesday and Thursday in Nashville. So be interesting to see if the Bruins make a move between now and then. Do they try to trade into the first or second round? Is there a possible buyout for Mike Riley and or Derek Forbert? I think that those, all those things um, are, are on the table uh, for the Bruins before free agency starts on July 1st. So I think it's probably going to be it for our little uh, Bruins update. We're going to talk a little bit about just some other uh, smatterings from stuff around uh, around sports. We'll start in uh, Major League Baseball. We'll take a look at the standings in a second. Uh, Joey Votto returned to the Reds lineup yesterday and hit a home run in his return as the Reds have won nine straight games. Uh, the Marlins' Luis Arias went 5-for-5 five five again yesterday. His batting average for the season is back up to 400. Uh, yeah. Trying to be the uh, first baseball player with a 400 average since uh, Ted Williams. So that'll be kind of something interesting to see uh, what happens there. So we'll take a look at the standings. As you mentioned, the Red Sox are still currently in last, but only... A half game back of the Blue Jays for fourth place and a game and a half back of the Yankees uh, for third place. Tampa Bay still setting the pace um, in the American League and in the uh, AL East. 51-24, and 24, they have a five-game lead over the Orioles. In the Central, Minnesota still leads the Central. Red Sox beat them last night, continue their uh, four-game series tonight. Twins have a two-game lead over Cleveland. For the lead in the central Minnesota is under 500 36 and 37 so it's always fascinating to just look at these standings week by week 
that even though the Red Sox are in last place, they'd be leading the Central. So uh, just kind of crazy there. Um, in the American League West, the Rangers have a five-game lead over the Angels. Currently, the Rangers are 45-27. and 27. They're having a really good year so far. Over in the National League, the Braves lead the National League East. By four and a half games, they lead the Marlins. They are, the Braves are 46 and 26 on the season. The Reds in the uh, National League Central, thanks to their nine-game winning streak, they're currently in first, a half-game lead over the Brewers. In the National League West, the Diamondbacks lead the Giants, who have won eight in a row. Uh, Diamondbacks lead the division by three and a half games. And then briefly taking a look at the wild card in the American League, Baltimore, the Angels, and the Yankees are in those spots with Houston a half game back, Toronto one game back, and the Red Sox uh, one and a half. In the National League, you have Miami, San Francisco, and Los Angeles in the wild card spots with Philadelphia a game back and Milwaukee uh, two games back. So curious to see what those wild card standings look like. Um, in the next couple of weeks as we approach the trade deadline. So give you some NHL notes. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks did buy out uh, Oliver Ekman Larson over the weekend. You know, he is someone that I think could possibly be um, in addition to the Bruins. Bruins, I think, were in talks to possibly acquire him a couple of years ago. Um, so could be a possibility, you know, I think at his age, and his kind of ability doesn't make sense to give him a long-term deal, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Bruins uh, gave him kind of a one-year prove-it deal um, because I think they are going to need some depth on the blue line, especially if, you know, Riley and Forbert aren't returning. Um, so he's someone like on a one-year deal, vet minimum type of thing, I think could make sense. You know, if he's still not signed by the time training camp comes around, the Bruins could give him a professional tryout, you know, which is something that I think, I believe the Panthers did with Mark Stahl, um, or maybe it was Eric Stahl, but either way, you know, that's always a route that uh, a team can go. So that will be interesting to see. Obviously, uh, the Golden Knights were able to finish off the Panthers um, in the Stanley Cup final last week, winning in five games. So uh, congrats to them. You know, great, you know, hard to not Hard to not feel good for Bruce Cassidy, who I think was, you know, really passionate about possibly winning the Cup of the Bruins in 2019. So good to see him finish the job. You know, I've said my piece plenty of times about the Bruce Cassidy thing kind of throughout the playoffs. Um, so I'll just be honest, I don't really feel like rehashing it. But I think just end of the day, the Bruins firing Cassidy and the Bruins' lack of playoff success this year or whatever you want to call it. They're two separate things. Um, I don't think the two things are related, so that's kind of just all I'm going to say about that. But one uh, thing I did want to touch on for the NHL is they've uh, unveiled, or NHL.com has unveiled the complete list uh, for the NHL award finalists. Um, the award ceremony will be next Monday night. Um, in Nashville, kind of in advance of the draft. So go through each of the awards, which player that I think is going to win. Um, so I think for the Hart Trophy, which is uh, most valuable, most valuable player, um, you know, really cool to see that Pasternak is 
is up for that award. I'd be shocked if he wins. You know, Connor McDavid, Matt Kachuk are the other two nominees. I think all three completely deserving nominees. You know, Kachuk was really, really good. And keep in mind that these are regular season awards. These have nothing to do with the playoffs, but really cool to see Pasternak, you know, honored there. Uh, for McDavid, I think that he definitely wins, you know, scoring 150 points. No one's done that since like the early 90s. So I think that's an easy, easy decision there. I think for the Norris Trophy, you know, best defenseman, I think that unfortunately the way that this award is being awarded recently, it kind of just goes to the guy with the most points. Um, so it's probably going to be Eric Carlson, Adam Fox, uh, Kale McCarr, the other two nominees now. Personally, I'd probably pick Fox or McCarr either way, but, you know, Carlson has the most points, so he probably wins, but that's not what it should be. You know, the award is best defenseman, not most points by a defenseman. So, you know, conversation for another day, but I think Carlson certainly is going to win that, the Vesna Trophy for the best goalie. I don't even think this is really a conversation. You know, Sorokin and Hellebuck had great seasons for the Islanders and Jets, respectively, but Olmark, I think, was by far the best goalie, you know, scored a goalie goal, you know, helped his, helped his case a little bit, but I just think start to finish, he was by far the best goalie in the league. So I think he should win the Vesna. Uh, the Ted Lindsay award goes to the most outstanding in player in the NHL as voted by members of the players association, McDavid Carlson, um, David Postenbach are up for that kind of would expect McDavid to win that. Uh, the Calder Memorial Trophy, which is the best rookie. Uh, Matty Beneers from the Kraken. Owen Power from the Sabres. Stuart Skinner from the Oilers. I happen to think it's going to be Beneers. I think Stuart Skinner could make a decent, you know, argument getting that team to the playoffs, you know, with his play and goal. But I think Beneers is probably going to win at the local kid from Hingham. Uh, the Jack Adams Award Best Coach or coach who has most contributed, or contributed the most to his team's success. Uh, Dave Haxtell with the Kraken, Jim Montgomery obviously with Bruins, and Lindy Ruff with the Devils. I think that Montgomery wins this easily, you know, set the uh, wins and points record, you know, for best regular season in the history of the league. So I think he wins it pretty easily. Um, in terms of the Selkie Trophy, I think Bergeron's going to win. He sure um, and Mitchell Marner are the, are, uh, are the other two guys that are up for this, but I think Bergeron wins again, you know, forward best, or given to the forward, best voted to excel in the defensive aspects of the game. So I think, you know, at, at, at what point are they going to rename this uh, trophy, you know, the Patrice Bergeron trophy? So, um, but yeah, I think he wins it again. The Lady Bing trophy is given to the player voted to best combine sportsmanship, gentleman conduct, and ability. Jack Hughes, Ante, Ante Kopitar, and uh, Brayden Point are up for that. You know, GM of the year, Don Sweeney's up for that. Kind of not really sure what's going to happen there. You know, Bill Zito with the Panthers, Jim Nill with the Stars, up for that. I think Bill Zito might win just with the addition of Kachuk, but uh, Sweeney, I think, certainly could have a case there as well. So those are just some of the kind of major awards that are going to be given out next Monday night in Nashville. So I think it's going to do it for 
Talking about hockey, we'll do a little bit of NBA. And then there's just NFL stuff I just want to continue to talk about in a minute. So, um, obviously the Bradley Beal trade uh, getting sent to Phoenix, I don't really know how that works. You know, Phoenix is going to have to build out the rest of their roster with, like, veterans minimums. So, curious about what the Suns can do for depth. Um but I think clearly the Suns are trying to go for it. So it'd be interesting to see how that works out for them. Um, just some other notes. Uh, the Warriors would like to keep Draymond Green, um, even after he opted out of his player option and will become a free agent. So it is possible they could bring him back. Um, and I think just one last note about the Suns trade for Beal. I think it is possible that they could bring in a third team uh, to trade to trade Chris Paul to. Uh, so unclear about if it's going to be a third team or if the Wizards are just going to release him. So something to kind of keep your eye on there. Uh, Lou Williams retired from the NBA last week. Was a three-time uh, winner of the Sixth Man of the Year award. So uh, happy trails to Lou. So with the NBA draft... The Spurs, the Hornets, and the uh, Trailblazers have the top three picks. There's been a lot of conversation about Portland uh, possibly trading the third pick, uh, but I think it's pretty expected that the Spurs will take Victor Wembanyama, and we'll see you know what type of player he's going to be in the NBA. Kind of curious about what he can do. Um, the Rockets and the Pistons rounding out the top five, but I think really outside of Wembenyama, Brandon Miller, and Scoot Henderson. Kind of not really sure how the rest of the draft's going to go. You know, I think that those three are kind of the, the, the best prospects, and then you kind of just go from there. So I'm curious to see how it plays out. Celtics, uh, of course, as we said, will have the 35th overall pick, which is the fifth pick in the second round. So I think, yeah, we'll talk a little NFL. So just to add a little bit more context to uh, the Dalvin Cook thing that I talked about earlier, um, let's read some of this from the ESPN update from last night. So he was talking on the Adam Schefter podcast. Uh, Cook said, uh, if we end up on the same roster, that would be something epic for the NFL. So clearly referring to Hopkins. So... Um, kind of curious to see what happens here, you know, with Cook being released uh, by the Vikings. Um, and so kind of not sure what shakes out for him. You know, is it a possibility that they both play for the Patriots, I guess? You know, but I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just talking about, oh, it would be fun to play together. You know, I don't know if necessarily I read too much into that comment that it could have just been, oh, you know, talking about a guy who's also a free agent, you know, maybe just saying, oh, it would be really sick if we played for the same, same team. So who knows, you know, could the Patriots be in the market for that? Possibly. You know, it is worth noting, though, that they still have not signed uh, Christian Gonzalez or Keon White to their rookie contracts that could just affect you know, money as well. But I just, I'll just be honest, 
I can't see Dalvin Cook coming to the Patriots, you know, unless he takes a ridiculously crazy pay cut, which I don't really think is what's going to happen here. Um, you know, it kind of seems like he's a guy that wants to, you know, be valued, wants to have a long-term deal, but it's just, you know, the, the, the risks about giving, you know, long-term deals to running backs, um, especially this day and age. So, you know, unless he's willing to take, like, no money, I don't think the Patriots are going to be, you know, bringing him in, you know, unless they find ways to shed a lot of salary. But, you know, again, going back to the Hopkins point, do the Patriots need him? No. Would it be nice to have him? Absolutely. Would he help them offensively? Totally. You know, but I think that they're in good shape, and I don't think that, you know, I don't think that they need him. So I think, you know, of course people are going to be upset if they don't sign him, but it's just like, I don't think it's necessarily uh, the end of the world. So I think it's probably going to probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, looking forward to uh, getting the conversation with Matt Plew out to you guys uh, later this week. That'll be dropping on Thursday morning, so you can listen to that before the draft and get ready uh, before, uh, yeah, the commissioner calls uh, Wembenyama's name. No, I don't think that there's any chance that the Spurs, <laughs> you know, pull, pull a 180 and uh, pick someone completely different. Um, but yeah, that'll be interesting to see. And yeah, we'll uh, talk to you folks uh, then.